Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So today we celebrate what's referred to as the Feast of Christ the King. This is actually a relatively new feast in Western Christianity, created by the Roman Catholic Church, but then celebrated by pretty much all Western liturgical Christians. So it was created by Pope Pius XI in the year 1925. And if you remember from your history classes, there was a lot going on in the world at that time. The world was still in shock from the devastating horrors of World War I and communism and the seeds of totalitarian and secular and atheistic regimes were all beginning to take root. So it's in this context that the Pope establishes a feast which is intended to point to the reality that Jesus Christ is the King of the universe. And this didn't just happen in the 20s, meaning in many ways this is the whole story of humanity, right? That is, trying to thrust God out of both public and private life in an attempt to establish and exercise power apart from him, ultimately, I think, in an attempt to find meaning. And a feast like this is intended to serve as a reality check, that for as, might as, it, for as much as it might appear otherwise, and for as much as we might attempt to do otherwise, there can be no true peace, be it peace amongst the nations, be it peace in communities, be it individual peace. There can be no true peace apart from the kingdom of God and its authority. And this is fitting as Trinity is coming to a close and we approach Advent. Remember that our Lord came onto the scene 2,000 years ago with this announcement from John the Baptist to repent. Repent, John the Baptist says, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is one of those things that we often hear a lot, but perhaps we don't actually know what it means. And there certainly are other references and nuances from the Old Testament, but my opinion is that for a Jewish person in the first century, the pronouncement that the kingdom of God is drawing near would have been seen as a clear reference to Daniel chapter 2. This is where, if you'll recall, Daniel is brought in to interpret King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, where he saw an image whose, quote, head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And the stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold, all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. End quote. So Daniel then proceeds in this chapter to give his interpretation of this dream, which is a chronology of successive kingdoms, which represents the Babylonians, then the Medo-Persians, then the Greeks, and then the Romans. And Daniel says that in the days of that fourth empire, that is in the days of the Roman Empire, that the, quote, God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, 
nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall happen after this. So this is the reference to the kingdom. This is ultimately the pronouncement of the good news of the gospel, that this kingdom made by no human hand, which shall never be destroyed, which Daniel spoke of, is being inaugurated in the work of Jesus. And the gospel writers all have this in mind, that this idea that what we see in Jesus' life is essentially then the story and the telling of his enthronement, his enthronement as the king of this kingdom, which Daniel spoke of. But it's not as anyone would expect how they tell this story. In the Gospels, Jesus is enthroned as king of the world, not in some triumphal or ornate procession, but rather in the procession to the outskirts of Jerusalem. He's not crowned with an ornate crown, but rather he's crowned with a crown of thorns. And he is not enthroned on an, an ornate throne, but rather he takes his seat as king of the world on the wood of the cross. This is because Jesus' kingship and his kingdom are completely upside down. At this point, it kind of starts to sound like a platitude, but you have to stop because it's really not a platitude at all. Jesus says that in the kingdom of God, it's the last who are actually the first. It's the weak who are strong. Those who, when you look at them and they have authority, they actually don't have any authority. This is very common in Jesus' teaching. It's what we might call an inversion of values. But in a way, it's not really an inversion. It's a restoration. It's the restoring of what had become of the distorted values of the world. This, in many ways, is the cause of the suffering of humanity. Humanity has tried to define for itself that which is good. And Jesus, in his life and in his work, undoes all of that and restores it and shows reality for what it actually is. So much of our lives are caught up in all of this, are caught up in seeking status, power, wealth, possessions, all of the things which quite, which, quite frankly, Jesus doesn't care at all about. We see this in his life and ministry, and many scholars have pointed this out, that especially we see this when Jesus is speaking to the two most powerful people in society at the time. So he's, when he's speaking to the Roman prelate, Pontius Pilate, and then to the high priest of Israel, he doesn't even, or he hardly talks to them at all. He is so unimpressed He's just not interested in anything that they might claim to have, their power, their esteem, their wealth. Jesus literally couldn't care less about it. Rather, the people who Jesus actually cares about, the people who Jesus is interested in, those who, with whom he engages, it's the poor person. It's the person who's hungry and wants some food. It's the person who's struggling with pain. It's the person who's struggling with a skin disease. It's the widow who doesn't have enough to provide for herself. 
This is because Jesus' teaching about the kingdom is that, again, true authority looks like the letting go of authority. True meaning and status comes from seeking to look for meaning and for status. True meaning comes rather through the sacrifice of oneself in love in the service of others, others who are in need. And this is nowhere expressed more chiefly and principally than in Jesus' enthronement on the cross, wherein Jesus gave his own life for the life of the world. As Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is what the eternal kingdom, not made by human hands, which crushes all other kingdoms, looks like. And this is our role as Christians, as participants in this kingdom, to do what our Lord did. And in so doing, we play our part in this kingdom. So when we celebrate the Feast of Christ the King, we make this very important declaration to the world that in the kingdom of God, everything is different. The meek are the ones who are great. And when we celebrate this feast, we declare that Jesus is not only the Lord of Christians, He's not only the Lord of our church, but he is indeed Lord and King of the entire universe. As we read in our gospel reading this morning, and Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pontius Pilate was not king. Caesar was not king. Neither is Joe Biden. Neither was Donald Trump. Nations will continue to rise and fall, but Jesus remains king. And the simple yet admittedly difficult thing, which this calls us to, is trust. And that is where we place our trust. As the Psalms say, some put their trust in chariots, some in horses some in princes, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. The message, ultimately, of the Feast of Christ the King is that the only place where we can truly trust, the only place where we truly are safe, is in the kingdom of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.